Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, June 17th, we're studying Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Paul continues on his third missionary journey, leaving Ephesus and traveling into Macedonia and Achaia. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Pastor Apple, excellent to be back with our people on Sharper Iron. As we get started this morning, Pastor, let's talk context. We're starting Acts 20 today. What should we know leading up to this text? Well, we're in a section of the book of Acts where we are following Paul on what we call his third missionary journey. Uh, the book of Acts basically records in the second half of the book of Acts, where it kind of focuses on Paul's ministry. Um, it, it really records three major missionary journeys that uh, Paul conducts. And so if our listeners would kind of jump into Acts chapter 18, and you look at verse 23, that's where we begin uh, the account of this third missionary journey that Paul goes on. And so if we're going to cover that, we're going to be talking about the things in Acts chapters 18, that latter part, 19, 20, and 21. And so since our reading is from Acts 20, we're in the midst of that third missionary journey. Now, that third missionary journey had already taken Paul to a few places, um, we had starts in Antioch, which uh, our listeners might remember is the home base. That's kind of where Paul is based with his uh, missionary work. And he goes into uh, Galatia and, and uh, Phrygia or Phrygia. And he ends up in Ephesus as well. That's in uh, Asia Minor, as we call it, modern day Turkey. And in Acts chapter 19, you've got a real big discussion about things happening in the book of uh, Acts about what was happening in Ephesus with Paul. Now, Ephesus is kind of an interesting place because our, our listeners will know it, it's one of those cities that even gets a letter written to it, right? We have the book of Ephesians. So that's, that's the same Ephesus there. Now, Paul uh, is a pretty good missionary when we read in the book of Acts uh, in the sense that he is bringing accurately the message that Jesus is the Lord's Messiah, that he has fulfilled uh, what the Lord promised in the Old Testament. Um, you have Paul actually speaking in the book of Acts at Ephesus in chapter 19, where he talks about the Holy Spirit to some people in Ephesus who, who had been baptized by John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, but hadn't really heard of the Holy Spirit. So he He's getting them up to speed. Uh, he does some great um, missionary work amongst um, Jews and Gentiles in Asia Minor. 
In fact, we're told in Acts 19, verse 10, that he was there for two years. So that's, I mean, that's a significant time um, for any of Paul's missionary journeys. Um, but then, as you read further in Acts 19, things get really hot in Ephesus. In fact, there's a riot that goes on. And this is something that we see in the book of Acts, that wherever like the, the gospel of Christ goes, um, it finds an audience that receives it, but then also finds audiences that, that totally reject it and don't want it spread. And in Ephesus, it kind of takes on like its own kind of real wild form of actually having almost like a citywide riot over this. Uh, yeah. Don't always see that, uh, thankfully, uh, but that's how drastic such a confrontation might get. Now, what was interesting is that Paul already, though, didn't want to stay in Ephesus. He wanted to go back to Macedonia and Achaia, or Achaia. These are two uh, provinces in what we would call modern-day Greece, uh, places where he had been before. And so what we're going to pick up here in our section, in Acts 20, is his departure from Ephesus and his fulfilling this desire that he uh, spoke of. In fact, it's recorded in Acts 19, verse 21, that after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And what we're going to see is that we're going to be talking about the start of Paul's like return leg of his third missionary journey, which will take him to Macedonia, Achaia, then back to Jerusalem, and then ultimately another journey that will take him to Rome. You know, geographically, he begins to travel a little bit farther away from Jerusalem at this point as he leaves Ephesus and goes toward Macedonia. And yet, as you read the text, this does really start the homeward journey or the journey back to Jerusalem, such that even though he's going to geographically move farther away from his destination, this does start to feel like the beginning of the return, because he's, he's very much focused on, on getting back to Jerusalem here, which is a, a little bit unique. We did see him go back to Jerusalem in chapter 18. He, he did go up to Jerusalem before going to Antioch. But here, there's there doesn't seem to be any anticipation of going back to Antioch. Jerusalem is the goal. And so even though you know, he's moving geographically farther away, we do start to get the sense that Paul's, well, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about this, Pastor Zimmerman, but Paul, kind of like Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, it seems that Paul has his face set toward Jerusalem by this point. Yeah, he really does. And, and we're going to see that uh, pop up in our verses that we study today. Um, there's a very particular purpose why he wants to go to Jerusalem, um, I- including uh, bringing things to Jerusalem. Uh bringing a collection uh, to Jerusalem, which he refers to in a couple of his epistles. Uh, in fact, he uh, talks about that in Second uh, uh, Corinthians, uh, in Romans, and a few places where you know, there's this gathering of things that the people in Jerusalem need, and, 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 and Paul is set to go there to bring that. But there's also kind of these things, in, kind of thematically with Paul here, that you're, you're seeing Paul kind of like echoing Jesus. Um, and, and we talk about that um, in a very good way. We talk about like imitating Jesus, 
Uh, the apostles talk about like sharing in Jesus' sufferings. Uh, Jesus talks about people, uh, you know, taking up their cross and following him. I mean, and, and, and he actually kind of means it. There, there, there will be suffering uh, for being a disciple that, it, that will take different forms for it, different individuals. But Paul, even when he was called to be an apostle, was actually kind of told that he would actually uh, share in sufferings. And so you kind of have him um, imitating Jesus in, in, in kind of multiple ways here, not just in the sharing of suffering, but also that Jerusalem will be the place for him. Mm. Uh, and you're also going to see some of the things that Jesus, when he left his disciples and and we had like the season of Pentecost that we are just wrapping up with recently. Uh, that promise about you know he doesn't abandon his disciples, but he leaves his word with his disciples and the spirit with his disciples and things like that. Well, well, Paul is kind of doing some of the same things too. That that we actually see him even on his return journey uh, to Jerusalem. That he's also um, stopping in places where he had already been. And, and sharing almost like one last time again the words of Jesus, you know, yeah, so that they're not left as orphans either. Uh, but because he is carrying Jesus' word to them, uh, the Spirit is also present with them and, and guiding them into all truth and keeping them in the faith as well. well. Let's go ahead and jump into our text today. We're beginning in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar ceased... Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 6. So there's quite a bit of, of summary material, I think, here. Pastor Zimmerman, Luke records this for us in, in pretty broad swaths. Take us into the departure of Paul from Ephesus and where he heads. Okay. Uh, we see in verse 1 that Luke notes what happened in Ephesus was an uproar. I mean, it, it, it was a riot. Uh, um, you've got this big public disruption there. Um, and so the idea that Paul would depart from a city where such a thing happened uh, it's not new to us if we read through the Acts of the Apostles, because this had happened before, where, where, where Paul encountered those types of oppositions, and sometimes public opposition to, to his teaching, and he would depart from those cities and go off to another place. And so that is actually what Paul is, is doing. But as we mentioned before, Paul's goal was not to stay in Ephesus. He did want to go to Macedonia and Achaia, and then ultimately to Rome. And so he's doing that. But before he departs Ephesus, he gathers the disciples there and says farewell to them. But there's also the important thing that he's encouraging them. And, and, and that's, the, that's that, um, 
that Greek uh, parakaleo word. Uh, that the same the same word, uh, same root word that that uh, Jesus uses for the helper that the or as one of our hymns just translates as paraclete, right? This this encourager or comforter. Um, and so this is what Paul, when he speaks to his disciples before leaving them in Ephesus, he then, you know, gives them encouragement. He gives them the word. He gives them the things to hold on to. But then he now goes to these places where he wanted to travel. To. He goes to Macedonia and Achaia. He is going to places that he had already been. Because if we look at the map, if you would look at an ancient map or a map of ancient Rome, maybe not an ancient map, a modern a modern map of the ancient Roman Empire, uh, uh, you would see that Macedonia, that region, includes like the cities of Thessalonica and Philippi, Achaia, that province includes like the cities of Corinth, Athens, Berea, and those are places where he had already been uh, on his uh, second uh, missionary journey. So he's going back to places um, and bringing uh, what we might call like a return visit. Okay, <laughs> you, know, you know, I was here. I brought the gospel to you here. We left people in charge here. I may have actually corresponded with you by letter, but now I'm here in person. I'm seeing what you're, you know, what you're doing. But I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to give you encouragement as well, and then continue on my way to other places. So he, he, you get that general summary of what's happening as you laid it out. What about, you mentioned in some of his epistles, we find out that he was doing a, a collection or receiving a collection. How does that play into this part of his journeys? Well, some of the epistles where he had written about collections are some of the places where he's going here on this, uh, on this return leg. One of the things that is interesting when you look at the book of Acts and you, and you look at the way Paul describes things and some of his epistles, the way he describes things, is we understand that there was a great gift that came out of Jerusalem to all these places at the ends of the earth, so to speak. Right. That's the way that's the way Jesus talks about uh, the mission that his apostles would do. Right. You'll be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as that great gift of the gospel goes out through the spirit led mission work, the apostles do. It creates new believers in these different cities. And they are tied into this great household of God, this this great family all these children, all those born again, born from above, adopted by God the Father. And it binds them together. And so now, when Paul can speak to these Christians in other parts of the world, including other parts of the world that might be a little more economically advantaged than Jerusalem, um, parts of the world not affected by some of the negative things that were happening to the Christians in Jerusalem, he can actually say to them, you received this great gift of the gospel. You received the salvation that came out of Jerusalem. And now, in a way, you can kind of return the gift uh, by what you can supply for the needs of these fellow Christians, your, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, who need what you have. 
And so what Paul actually gives is instructions to some of these cities in Macedonia and Achaia where he's going and say, I want you to start setting aside uh, offerings for me or my representatives to collect, and we're going to take this thing that God has given to you here, and we're going to bring it to your fellow Christians in Jerusalem who need it. And so that's what Paul actually carries out. Now, you can read about this. Our listeners um, should read about this in 2 Corinthians especially. If you read through chapters 1 through 7, is you'll see uh, mention of this. You'll also see mention of what happened in, in Asia, what happened in Ephesus to, uh, to Paul, um, speaking about how they were like under threat of death, but they, but they, were, they were brought through it. Um, a fact that he couldn't quite get to Corinth right away, but we're sending Titus there. I got good news about you from Titus, you know, and now I am going to show up. And, and this is actually what Paul then carries out on this return leg of his third journey. Talk a little bit about the plot that was made. After the three months in verse three, there's a plot made, and it looks like it changes Paul's travel plans. What's happening there? So one of the things that we want to note is that um, when people are traveling, there it, it might be a bit more hazardous than what we do now. Um, you don't just like show up at an airport or a seaport and you go through like a metal detectors and things like that. And then you get on your your uh, your, your travel method, whatever it is. Um, you also don't like check your luggage quite the way we do. Um, uh, you're not carrying like checks or having electronic transfers of money, all these things that make it easy for us. Um, if you're collecting money, you're collecting like in bags, right? And you're carrying the bag. It's, it's like our, our listeners might think of like our, our Westerns, right? Where they show the stagecoach, who's got the bags of gold and they get like, you're robbed. Well, it seems that perhaps uh, this might be part of the plot against Paul. Uh, you already have people who don't like him speaking the gospel. Um, and now if there's any kind of maybe like inkling that, um, well, maybe these groups of Christians have been like gathering monies together and they're, and they're trying to send it along with this guy back to uh, Jerusalem. Well, we don't want that to happen. And so you see this, uh, this plan of evil intent develop and somehow learned about. And, and it's interesting, in the book of Acts, you see a, several times where there's like a plot against Paul that, that somehow leaks out. Uh, Paul learns about it and is, uh, by God's providence, can avoid um, this evil plan that was meant to try to squelch the uh, spread of the gospel. And we talk about this in the, like, the Lord's Prayer, right? The explanation of the Lord's Prayer, we talk about... Um, a God like breaking, breaking and hindering evil plans, you know, and, and so this is what happens. Paul needs to change his travel plans because you don't want to be on a ship with people who, uh, well, who don't want you on that ship and don't want you to get to your journey. And <laughs> so, you know, you know, get smacked over the head with like a hammer and tossed overboard. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not just for the mystery novels. You know, that's right. It, it can happen in real life. 
That's right. That's right. So Paul changes his travel plans. He decides to return through Macedonia instead of setting sail for Syria. And in verse four, then St. Luke lists a bunch of people who go with him. Who, who are some of these people? Give us any, any pertinent details of those that are listed there. Well, you get seven people listed and, and immediately every, every time we see like you know, number seven, we are, our, our antennae kind of go up, right? When we're reading through things, because we, we know that's an important number in the scriptures. Um, what you see in this list of people is um, a number of names that are definitely like European. <laughs> a lot of them, uh, uh, Gentile kind of names, Greekish names, we might, might say. And they are from various cities or regions where Paul had done missionary work. And so you have one guy from Berea. You have a couple of guys from Thessalonica. You have two of them from Galatia. You have two of them from Asia. And remember, Asia in, in the book of Acts is speaking about the province of Asia, what we call Turkey. So um, that's where Paul had been already, like in Ephesus, would, would have been a city in Asia. And so these seven individuals are people that Paul had already met, Paul had interacted with in their cities, uh, and they become his companions on this return trip back to Jerusalem. And they can represent really kind of like um, a sampling harvest, if you will, uh, first fruits maybe even, mm. of these Gentile missions that Paul had been on in his uh, second journey and now in his third one. Of the names that are listed, what do we know about these men? Some of them are familiar. Timothy, for example, we've encountered him before, and some of them I think are familiar. Are there any in particular we should notice for what else they're they're seen doing in the Book of Acts or in the Epistles of Paul? Well, they get a few of them do get mentioned in uh, different places. So um, if if you if you do read in like some of the conclusions of. Um, of uh, Paul's letters. Uh, our listeners might be familiar that you, you've got, um, often in Paul's letters, the epistles, you'll have like a like an introduction, and it will have like, you know, Paul, an apostle of you know Christ Jesus to uh, the people of Corinth, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and then he'll often list some of the people who were like with him, who were with him as he's writing that letter. Then towards the end of a number of his letters, You'll see him also speaking about uh, several of these like leaders in the church in going to different places where where um, maybe such and such person is with me and now they're going to go to another place or I'm sending them or I need you to like get a message to this guy and, and bring him back to me and so you actually see all of these uh, uh, Sopater, um, Aristarchus, Secundus. Secundus doesn't get mentioned, um, but all the other ones in there show up in some other reference in one of the Pauline epistles, uh, some of the multiple ones. And so you get the idea that these people, that Paul is, uh, are, are his companions, are not just random individuals, but 
leaders of these churches in these different areas um, that Paul is using as instruments to carry out his apostolic work. And as, and as our listeners will, will remember, the idea of like the apostolic work was not just that you know the 12 would go out and, and once like their lifetimes came to an end, that was the end of like the mission. No, no. They would also appoint new people in different places to carry out uh, pastoral functions, evangelistic functions, uh, so that the continued gospel mission of Christ would would go on into another generation. Now, as we got about two minutes here before the break, Pastor Zimmerman, take us into those last two verses, verses five and six, where they end up headed, and then that'll propel us onto the, the rest of the text on the other side of the break. Sure thing. So we have uh, some of these people, it appears that uh, uh, Tychicus and Trophimus uh, kind of were a little bit of an advanced party and, and went ahead to a city of Troas, which is going to be where the rest of our study is going to be focused on. Um, and so they're kind of getting things ready there. While that's happening, you have uh, Paul and the rest of them, and, and uh, also St. Luke, because you had the reference to we in right. verse 6, right. um, that they they had been in Philippi, and they leave Philippi after, as it said, the days of unleavened bread, meaning Passover time, or um, for us, of course, it's also Easter time. And that's an important little time marker. Because what you get is now we kind of know how this leg, when it begins, and that's going to play into something that happens a little bit later that we're going to get to after the break, where you will talk about that Paul wants to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. And so now you've got the, you've got the countdown clock starting, right? Seven weeks uh, that runs there. And so we kind of get an idea of where he is on his journey um, by these time markers. So we will pick up his journey again on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're studying Acts chapter 20 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, June 17th. We're studying Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 16 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we left off after verse 6. Paul has now landed in Troas. They are there for seven days. And St. Luke continues his account. And again, as you pointed out, St. Luke is there with Paul at this point. We begin again in Chapter 20, verse 7 of the book of Acts. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, 
sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assus, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assus, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the next day after that we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. That takes us through the rest of our text today through Acts 20, verse 16. Again, we're in Troas at the beginning of the text here in verse 7, Pastor Zimmerman, and Luke tells us that it was the first day of the week they had gathered together to break bread. What does this mean? What's Luke talking about in verse 7? All right, so we had a little marker in uh, verse 6 that when they were at Troas, they stayed for seven days. And so every if we understand that a person stays in one place for seven days, at some point you're going to run across a Sunday. Right, you know, one of the seven. (laughs) And uh, I think you and I probably, if we have uh, parishioners going to a city and it's going to run across seven days, one of them is a Sunday, and we would encourage them, well, find one of the gatherings of our fellow believers and attend a worship gathering with them. And then, and then hopefully when they come back, they bring a bulletin or something from the place they had been, <laughs> which is always, always wonderful. I got one of those uh, 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 this past Sunday morning, so that was a good thing, wonderful to, wonderful to see. And so the idea that there would be a weekly gathering of the, the, the Christian believers is um, not unexpected. This is a custom that goes back a very long time. You had already in the Old Testament, of course, uh, the uh, Sabbath gatherings, especially after um, the times when, when the, uh, uh, the people were away from the temple, so they, they couldn't be in Jerusalem for like the daily worship and things like that. So they would often gather in the synagogues and places like that. And in the book of Acts, we, we see that you have... Uh, Paul often, when he goes into a place, finds the synagogue where the people are, and that's where he first brings the gospel. And so here you have a a group of believers in Troas, and so would they gather to worship? Absolutely, because that's what Christians do. But what's interesting is that we're actually told that they do so on the first day of the week. And so this is a canonical reference, so a reference in the canonical scriptures to a Christian worship service gathering taking place on a Sunday. Now, that's actually kind of an important thing, because at some point, you know, I occasionally get asked, you know, why do we gather on Sundays? And uh, and we say, well, you know, it's the day that marks the the Lord's resurrection, right? It took place on Sunday. But we also have, apparently, from this far back, the custom 
of the Christians gathering on that day. And so Paul is there as an apostle. So who better to speak at a worship gathering of Christians than one of the people whom Christ himself had sent out? And so that's what Paul is doing at that gathering. The idea of breaking bread, or that term, in the book of Acts, we usually suggest should be read as a reference to the Eucharist, to the Lord's Supper, where, where bread is taken, blessed, broken, given, and received. So kind of a, a way of speaking about that activity. Um, but that activity wasn't just what we might call like the service of the sacrament, you know, so just that action happening, but you also have the preaching happening, you know, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, preaching Christ crucified, speaking the whole counsel of God, you know, um, bearing witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. And that is what Paul is doing with these Christians in Troas. Um, although it happens to be an evening service, which is interesting, um, and that plays into <laughs> one of the things that happens there at Troas. Um, and it's the day before Paul is going to leave Troas. And so perhaps this uh, worship service at Troas goes on a bit longer than normal, but I would kind of suggest perhaps we should think that the worship services, at, the, uh, at least in the early church, the Tiny Apostles, may not have fit neatly into that 60-minute, you know, uh, uh, segment that, that some of our audience always thinks that church is like, you know, when that clock hits, you know, uh, 60 minutes, that's it. Um, the idea that service... Yeah, <laughs> I know. Oh, I know, but the services kind of sometimes have to take as long as necessary. Well, and, and I, I think... And I mean, that's what's part happening of, here. Sure, part of it, what's going on here is that Paul does intend to leave the next day, and so it, it <laughs> yeah. seems that he's trying to get everything that he can packed into that time. And I would imagine the congregation there as well wants Paul to give them as much as possible for the time that he's there so that, you know, they would gather for longer than perhaps they otherwise might have, I think makes good sense. Yeah, def definitely for that part. Now, sure. before, before we get to, to what happens with Eutychus, there's this detail in verse eight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Uh, it's it's nighttime, so it does make sense that there's light. But is there is there significance beyond that to Luke including that detail? Well, I think there is, there is, and I think some of our um, biblical scholars and other commentators uh, bring that forward. Now, one of the things that often when we read through that, we, we might suggest that th this might be part of the reason why uh, what happened to Eutychus happened. Not only that, uh, you know. He, he got tired, but, you know, maybe the oxygen content in the room got burned up a good bit. You know, people, you know, suggest that kind of thing. But I think it's actually probably something a bit, a bit more than that is what's, what's notable in the um, first couple centuries of the church's existence are pagan charges and criticisms of the Christian groups. 
And one of the things that gets mentioned in the, and, and, and you can find these references in extant uh, texts from the first couple centuries, uh, non-biblical texts. So we're talking about like letters or official documents uh, from non-believers to other non-believers uh, speaking negatively about Christians. And some of what they talk about are that they have these meetings and they're, they're at nighttime and they're secret and all sorts of like bad, nasty things that, you, that should not even be mentioned happen. Um, and some of them are, are really uh, scandalous ideas, um, like that they would meet in these kind of like not really illumined rooms and... Uh, and there would be all sorts of like, you know, sexual misconduct taking place. Uh, there might even be like child sacrifices taking place. It's, it's all, all sorts of slanderous uh, uh, accusations, which of course are meant to try to tear down this movement of people who are believing that there is like one God, one Lord of all, that, that he actually came in the flesh and dwelt among us and, and he will judge everybody, you know. So it, it's meant to try to like, you know, it speaks so negatively about this, spread rumors about this, um, to, to try to get people like that. No one in their right mind would actually go to one of those gatherings because you know only something bad is happening there. Because because mm -hmm. if it weren't bad, they wouldn't meet at night and it wouldn't be dark and you know and they wouldn't be secret. Um, also, nighttime meetings of any sorts of groups were actually uh, kind of looked down upon. Not even just Christians, but you know other like political movements and things like that. Uh, ways to try to discredit them. But here, what you have uh, Luke mentioning is that, yeah, it's a nighttime event, but it's not like a nighttime event, and, there, and it just happens to be like one little lamp in the corner, so everything's shadowy, and, you know, and no one can really see what's going on, but really kind of like a brightly lit room, right? Many lamps. Um, and, and the idea that uh, Luke gives here is, sometimes our readers might uh, know uh, when they look at the book of Acts, a lot of times we might expect, like Luke, to say, and, and there were not few lamps, right? <laughs> he sometimes always do, right. does that. Yeah. yeah. But here, here he goes straight to like the many, you know? Uh, and uh, I think that's something to note that there's perhaps that we might actually see here one of those first kind of like apologetic sort of things, um, a defense to say, you know, those kind of like, you know, rumors and slanders and, and lies spoken about Christian gatherings weren't really true. So with that setting, then we find out about this young man, Eutychus, who's sitting up on the third floor. Paul's preaching for a while. It's getting late. Maybe the oxygen content. That was an interesting sub. I don't know about that one, Pastor Zimmerman. The oxygen content was being burned up there by all those lamps. I, I don't know about that one. But in any case, Eutychus falls asleep. He falls out of the window. And what a what a memorable scene. What a tragic scene until Paul does step in. Take us into what happens. So you have this uh, young man, and he's seated near in, in the windowsill. Of course, it'd be one of the coolest places in the in the room because that's where you're you're the closest to the outside and the breeze. But you know, it's not a really safe place if you're not alert, right? Uh, so that's right. Some of us would say, you know, when you see like an open uh, open window like that, um, 
or, or people getting close to the edge of like a deck or things like that, you you definitely want them to be alert. And, and like we don't want our toddlers or little kids going close there, right? That's exactly uh, what I'm thinking as a father. Yeah. <laughs> Why are yeah, you so close to the edge? Yeah, with your children, I could, I could <laughs> you'd be like concerned, like oh no, no, we want you, we want you at least like you know three or four steps away. Right? That's exactly you right. Know, not, <laughs> well, I mean, I think about the balcony that we have here at, at Grace, and and yeah, when when I take kids up there, like stay away from that edge, don't get too close. So yeah, that's that's well, what I'm thinking I, here too. Yeah, I'm a bit of an acrophobe, so I don't like the heights. <laughs> so, <laughs> even at our chapel in Fort Wayne, uh, uh, up in the choir loft, I never really like getting close to the edge anyway. So um, as a as a as a grown up. Um, <laughs> But but Eurydicus is there, and when he falls asleep, because when you fall asleep, you lose control of your body, right? You know, um, and so he he falls asleep and just kind of follows gravity <laughs> straight out the window, right? Because uh, he he can't keep himself uh, upright, right? If if you actually fall asleep, you lo- you lose control, and so he falls, and, and we're told three stories down. So you have this upper room of this um, house or building where they're gathered, and it's not just a person like maybe falling out the window or the first level down to the ground, but three, three levels. And of course, what you would expect is major injury at least, and death kind of suggested as being probably not unlikely. Mm. In three stories. And that's what happens to Eutychus. And so, you, you know, and, and it, you know, you could have him, you know, falling out. I don't know if he, like, woke up on his way down and, and, and yelled or anything. But everyone notices he's not there in the windowsill anymore. And so they, they rush down to the street level where, where he is, and he is dead. And what a tragic thing. I mean... We we have a a worship service that's supposed to be joyous. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be partially sorrowful because Paul's going to be leaving. So there's going to be that kind of that sorrow. But but we had him here. We were hearing the teaching of Christ. We're receiving the gifts, um, and, and now it's marked by a death. But Paul also goes down to that street level where Eutychus is, and we're told that he bends over him and and this is one of those things where perhaps the ESV doesn't quite translate it the best um, and some of our readers and listeners could find um, in like the New King James version or the New American Standard version the idea that he he actually falls upon Eutychus mm. and embraces him and the reason why I kind of want to emphasize that is because we have seen something like that before. Our listeners might recall in the Old Testament, there were two times where prophets did this to people. Both Elijah and Elisha do that to a person who had died, and they resuscitate them. We have Jesus himself when he uh, raises... um, the daughter of Jairus, right, takes her by the hand uh, and and brings her back to life. And you also have Peter bringing back uh, Tabitha or Dorcas in the book of Acts back to life. That there were these incidents that the scriptures record 
where something miraculous happens that restores life where it had been taken away. And it is a sign, of course, of the Lord's power over death. And you do have these people who are men of God, so prophets in the Old Testament, and then these apostles, Peter and Paul, in the case of the book of Acts, um, where they have been given by God. So this is not power of themselves. Okay, So it's not like they held that ability in and of themselves, but as a sign of, of uh, the Lord's power over death, he allows it to be demonstrated in this miraculous way. So what happens then in verses 11 and 12 as things wrap up here in Troas? Well, they, well, services can be interrupted, but then they, <laughs> they start back up again. Now, right. I mean, this is, this is quite the interruption. <laughs> you know? uh, but, but you actually see it, um, you actually see the worship service um, take, be taken up again. Uh, he, he goes back up, he breaks bread and eats, and he converses with them a long while. And so you have here, uh, again, Paul with this gathering of Christians in Troas that he's going to leave it when morning comes. He speaks with them kind of, kind of through the night un, un, until daybreak, until dawn. Again, um, trying to deliver the, the whole counsel of God to them as he had opportunity. He's making, you see Paul here making the most of his opportunity with these people that quite honestly he will probably never see again in person mm. not well not, not until the great day of resurrection but that right. that would be a while yeah. yeah yeah that's right that's right so he he spends that time there in troas and then we get quite a bit of travel narrative as our text concludes he goes from one town to the next fairly quickly take us into the the way that paul's travels conclude leading up to what's going to happen in tomorrow or the next text in miletus all right, so Paul decides um, to send his travel companions uh, by boat to Assos, um, and he himself decides to travel from Troas to Assos by land. And we're not told why. We're just told that he intended to do it. This, this, was, this was an intentional act on his part, and so this would be this is where you have all the great pious speculation of why he was doing that. We don't know. Maybe there was some sort of stop he had to make in between those two cities. Who knows? But he decides to do it that way intentionally. But then when he does get to Assos, he does uh, get on the boat with the rest of his travel companions, and they kind of bounce uh, through islands in. Um, in the Aegean Sea there, uh, along what you would see is a map of modern-day Turkey, um, which is where this is happening. You see all sorts of islands off the coast, and they're kind of sailing, kind of like the intercoastal waterway that our nation has on the East Coast, mm. uh, like along the Carolinas. You had the barrier islands and things like that. And so they're bouncing from town to town on these ships that, that don't go too far into sea, but kind of bounce from port to port, kind of like almost like shuttle ships in kind of in a way. Um, and what they're doing though is they're bypassing Ephesus. And that might bring us into kind of a suggestion of why they're bypassing Ephesus. Now, part of it is so that 
as uh, Luke records it, so that Paul would not have to spend time in Asia. Now, part of it would be maybe you don't want to go back to Ephesus and get you know detained or arrested in any way because of the riot that had been there. Hmm. Uh, you don't have any of that going on. You don't have to go inland and deal with maybe a lot of other um, towns, kind of like Troas was, where I really need to spend a day here and and speak with the disciples, and it's going to it's just going to make the travel time longer, because what is clear from the text is that Paul does want to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost if he can. Uh, almost not even just by Pentecost, but actually, you know, be there at that great festival of Pentecost. And there we might speak about like the, the kind of maybe the, the spiritual reason for that or a symbolic reason is because the Pentecost is a harvest festival. It's the early harvest festival. Um, and here Paul is actually bringing in some ways a harvest. He's bringing hopefully that collection of things that the Christians in Achaia and Macedonia were sending for the Christians in Jerusalem. But even more importantly, he's bringing kind of these harvest, if you will, with these companions of his, of all these Gentile missions that had been happening, and saying, this is the growth that God is bringing. This is the growth the Spirit is working. This is the growth by having that seed of being the gospel of Christ being planted in all sorts of new fields. And you know what? Some of those Gentile fields are good soil where there is going to be a harvest of believers. Now, what a, I mean, what a joyous harvest to bring to Jerusalem on Pentecost. And I know the book of Acts doesn't close with Paul's return to Jerusalem here, that there's still quite a bit after that. But there is, I mean, think about how the book of Acts started and the great harvest that was there on the day of Pentecost with Peter's mm-hmm. sermon in Acts chapter 2. Uh, coming full circle maybe isn't quite the right term, but again, you you see what a what a fitting thing to happen on the day of Pentecost that Paul brings not only this offering but the you know those that the Lord's word has brought into the faith even among the Gentiles. What a what a marvelous thing and and so a good reason to get back to Jerusalem by Pentecost, leading to his travel pattern as it's recorded here in Acts chapter 20. Pastor Zimmerman, we have just under four minutes left on the morning. Help us to wrap this part of Acts 20 up. Give us the good news from our text today. Some of the good news which is in here is like, you know, just because things might not always happen the way we had initially intended, you know, sometimes sometimes events can be sparked by negative things. No one wanted a riot in Ephesus. <laughs> and, and yet it allowed uh, the reason for Paul to go to Achaia and Macedonia and actually have good events happening that, that, that God was uh, bringing to bear. Um, you see, again, that the work of the apostles going into the ends of the earth wasn't a futile work. It was bringing believers, people to faith in Christ, so that they could receive the benefits of of his death and resurrection, which was taking on the sins of the world, not just taking on the sins of like you know, one ethnic group or anything like that, but, but all humanity. And that there were people who were receiving that gospel that Paul brought to them about Christ, and they were being full beneficiaries of it. Um, we see the fact that we should expect that gatherings where Christians come together to hear Christ's 
work is actually going to be for our benefit too. When someone comes and, and, and brings that whole counsel of God, who brings that gospel of Christ to us, uh, we, we, we should mark it as ways um, that God is working in us. This is the method he uses. These are the means he uses. It's one of the reasons why we, we don't despise preaching and despise his word, but we, we, we hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. And, and that example in Troas is, is one of those uh, great examples, <laughs> even when it might go long past midnight. <laughs> um, and the resurrection of Eutychus, or, or the resuscitation of him there, does give a foretaste, a foreshadowing, that one day all of those who have heard the gospel and, and have, have received it and received that message that the Spirit works through and are, are led to faith in Christ and, and call on his name will be saved. And ultimately, what we're waiting for is a day of resurrection when we're going to, we're going to meet our brothers and sisters in Christ who were at Troas that night. We're, we're going to meet our brothers in Christ who, who were companions with Paul on his journey. We're going to meet people who didn't even get their names written down in, in the Bible or any other book, but their names are written down in the book of life. And that's what we're ultimately looking forward to, because that is going to be the great harvest that, that gets brought forth, that our Lord Jesus will have his angels gather into his barns and be kept safe for eternity. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, helping us today with Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. You're welcome as always. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 20, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.